remember how to do this. Okay, today's reading is from Psalm 138. It's in the Church Bibles on page 505, also on the screen and inside the leaflet. Psalm 138 of David. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down towards your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me, and your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. Uh, Well, thanks very much. It's lovely to be with you again, and uh, this week to be looking at Psalm 138. Could I ask you please to take out the little white handout that you'll find inside your sheaf of papers? It'll give you an outline of what I'm going to talk about, and you'll find that useful. Uh, Also, you should have a Bible either open in front of you or else the inside of the leaflet on the top left has the Bible passage, uh, which we're going to look at this morning. Uh, In many ways, it's pretty straightforward, and you'll see from the outline I just want to look at each of uh, the three parts to the psalm very briefly, uh, try and explain what's going on, draw a couple of implications, and then I want to finish with a challenge uh, for you to do some homework. Yeah, that's a bit sad, isn't it? Don't call it homework and exercise afterwards, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Uh, it's a psalm of David, as you can see, Psalm 138. Uh, the first point that I want to, um, and you'll see the three points that I want to cover, what David says he'll do and why, secondly, what David calls others to do and why, and thirdly, what David says God will do and why. Point one, what David says he will do and why. Let me reread verses one through three for us. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down towards your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. Uh, The psalm in many ways is pretty straightforward. It's a psalm of praise. Uh, You see what David says he will do. Verse 1, he will praise the Lord. Verse 2, he will praise his name. This is a psalm all about praise, a song all about praise. And I want to say just a few things about it briefly there. Where, how, why, what, when? Okay, where, how, why, what, when? Firstly, where? Where does David say that he will praise God? Well, verse 1, I'll praise you, Lord, with all my heart, before the gods I will sing your praise. David says he'll praise his God before the gods. Now, we don't know the exact circumstances of the song, but... But we are being told that David is willing to praise God anywhere. You might even say he's willing to praise God everywhere. You see that because to praise his God before the other gods 
is somewhat provocative. Um, one of the things that you may or may not know about me is that uh, I'm not actually from South Australia originally. I was born in New South Wales uh, and moved here a number of years ago. Uh, but for that reason, I'm going to say this just so you know something about me. I think Aussie Rules is a stupid game. Now, there you go. I just, you know, got to be out there about it. Um, I don't actually care for it. I'm delighted that my only son agrees that it is a stupid game now. So as best I can tell, I've succeeded in one aspect of parenting. And uh, in fact, the only time that really I care about Aussie rules is on days when a Sydney team beats. Oh, that's a bit provocative, isn't it? Um, you know, if you, um, if you are a diehard supporter, you'll wear your team's colours even at an away game when you venture into the den, so to speak, of your opponents. David says he's prepared to praise his God before all the other gods... And you see a hint of that, I suspect, because in verse 2, did you notice? I will bow down towards your holy temple. It doesn't say I'll bow down in your holy temple, which would kind of make sense. He's not even in the temple and he's willing to praise his God. Uh, What we've been told, I think, is that when he says he will praise God, he's not just talking about uh, the so-called praise and worship time in a Sunday gathering. He's talking about all of life. And the reason for that is because praise is not silent or private. Praise is actually meant to be done, it's meant to be given, meant to be made in public for the whole world to see. Here's a good way to demonstrate that point. How affirmed are you when other people silently praise you? You're not, are you? It's meant to be done in public for the whole world to see. So that's the first thing. David says he'll praise God everywhere. Secondly, how? Well, again, verse 1, I'll praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I'll praise you with all my heart. David is saying that his praise is not ho-hum, it is not limp, it is not, to use a phrase that we often say, half-hearted, It is with his whole heart. That is, he praises God with conviction and with passion. Now, I do want to point out at this uh, part of the talk uh, that I think actually conviction and passion are different for different people. They're often a function of your own personality. So, for example, this is me when I'm excited. Uh, And this is me when I'm feeling a bit blue as well. All right, so, you know what I'm saying? The expression differs from person to person according to their personality. But nevertheless, David calls on us to praise God with all our heart, with conviction, with belief. Okay, that's the where and the how. Why? Why does David say he'll praise God? This is important. There's two reasons he gives. The first is in response to what God has done. And the second is in response to what God says he will do. So kind of a past and a future. Have a look there in verse 3. Uh, verse 3, uh, you have... Um, sorry, verse, verse 3. When I called you, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. David wants to praise God because of what God has done for him in the past. He's answered him when he's cried out to him. Uh, But equally, he praises him for what he says he will do. So verse 2, you have so exalted your solemn decree 
that it surpasses your fame. David says that God is worthy of praise, not just for what he has done, but also because of his promise about what he will do. And I presume the reason for that is that God's word and God's deeds are synonymous. That is, what God says will be, will be. It will come to pass. And therefore God is worthy of praise, even for what he is yet to do. So fourthly then, what? My question for you today, and I'm going to return to this at the end of the talk, but my question for you today is, what would your song of praise be? This is David's song of praise, Psalm 138. But what would your song of praise be? How would your song of praise cover both aspects of Psalm 138, that is what God has done and what God promises still to do? There's a question for you to start reflecting on. As I said, I'm going to return to it at the end. And fifthly then, uh, when, where, how, why, what, when, when might you sing your song of praise? That is, if you have one, when might you take the opportunity to sing it? Uh, Now, of course, I do recognise that the idea of singing in public is probably not one that appeals to a good number of us here. Uh, And so that's okay. It doesn't have to be that you will literally sing your song of praise, but... Perhaps how might you share the lyrics of your song with those around you? It's worth noticing, actually, in verse 3, that the very things which make God worthy of our praise are meant to give us courage to be able to speak of them in public. Verse 3, when I called you, you answered me and you greatly emboldened me. You emboldened me. To do what? To sing his praise. Okay, that's point one. Point two, what David calls other to do, others to do and why. We've seen what David says he will do. Now let's see what he calls others to do and why. Verses four through six. Verse four, may all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Well, there's very little surprise, actually. Given what David says he'll do, that is, he'll praise God, it's hardly a surprise that what he calls others to do is also to praise God. Uh, You see that in verse 4, may all the kings of the earth praise you. And you see it in verse 5, may they sing of the ways of the Lord. And again, you see the why they should praise God. It's exactly the same as before. It's both for what God has done and for what God says that he will do. So again, verse 4 Uh, May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. That's for what God says he will do. Uh, But also for what God actually does. Verse 5, he displays his glory. Verse 6, this is a God who looks kindly on the lowly. Uh, As for who David is calling to praise God, well, he's quite specific here. Verse 4, he calls on the kings of the earth. The kings of the earth. Now, I think probably what he means is actually the nations of the earth. It's not just the kings, but kind of the kings as the representatives of their people. Although it's interesting, the contrast, isn't it, between the kings of the earth who, at least in our view, the kings of the earth, they seem impressive, powerful, prestigious, mighty. But notice how they're compared with verse 6, the lofty and exalted Lord. 
kind of puts those kings in their place. Um, At the same time, there's a question that Psalm 138 raises, um, and it's kind of lying below the surface. So I want to say something about it briefly at this point. I've actually printed it there for you on your handout. The question is, how are they here? What I mean by this is, how will the kings of the earth who do not know the Lord in the way in which people like David did, how will those kings ever hear about the Lord that they might sing his praises? How will they hear about God's word? How will they hear about his actions that they might do what David says, that is to praise him? There's a couple of ways to answer that question. Uh, The first is just to point out what we all know to be true, and that is that news travels fast. Even back in these days, 700 years before Christ, 3,000 years before social media, news does travel fast. You get some examples of that in the Old Testament, in particular, even further back in time. So often what would happen was that after God did something for his people, the nations around would hear about it and it would drive their response. To give you the most uh, powerful example, after God rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt, after he performs the miracles of the plagues, he parts the Red Sea and he leads his people out to freedom, the nations around start to hear about this God, the God of the Israelites, and what he can do. And for some of those nations, it actually causes them to repent and to come to God before God comes to them in judgment. So the Gibeonites are an example of one of the tribes in the Promised Land who hear about these Israelites who are on their way towards them with their God, and what they do is that they send out people to make a peace treaty that they might be spared. Likewise, when the Israelites do finally make it into the Promised Land after they cross the River Jordan, you'll recall that they send some spies ahead of them to check out the land. And when the spies get there, uh, Rahab, a Canaanite woman, she takes the spies under her wing and protects them because she has heard of what this God of the Israelites can and will do. And she wants to get safe, right with this God while there's still time. So at one level, the way in which people hear is that kind of news travels fast. But I think to be more specific and to go with the flow, the direction of Psalm 138, the way in which the kings of the earth, the way in which the peoples of the world hear about our God is that they hear our praise of our God. Because our praise is not meant to be silent or private. And it's for that reason that God emboldens us to be able to tell of his mighty deeds that others might hear whilst there is still time. And part of the reason for saying it that way is because there is an urgency. It's not just a case that if the kings of the earth don't hear about God, then they'll miss out, but no big deal. There's actually something far more serious at stake. There are consequences to not praising God. And that's point three of the psalm and of the notes. What David says God will do and why. Verses seven and eight. Let's come to this last section. Verse seven. David concludes, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. 
You'll see on your outline, uh, hopefully you recall this from last week, the key to the Psalms. That's what I tried to say last week. Remember the key to the Psalms? It's what they say about God, first and foremost, not primarily what it tells us to do. Uh, And so uh, I think it's wonderful that Psalm 138 shifts our focus back to what God is like, particularly if at this point we're sitting there feeling maybe a little bit embarrassed or ashamed or maybe guilty about all the times in which we have not been public in our praise of God, all the times in which we've chosen to keep quiet. I get that that's an easy thing to do. It's easy to keep our mouths shut, particularly because the psalm expects that sometimes there will be negative response from the world around us when we seek to praise God. People won't be happy when we praise God. In fact, they'll be threatened. And at times they will even threaten us. I say that because if you look at verse 7, verse 7 speaks, David speaks of being in the midst of trouble. Verse 8, he acknowledges the anger of his foes. David is reminding us that to sing God's praises, sometimes it will invite disagreement. Sometimes to, to sing God's praises will attract scorn and derision. Sometimes to sing God's praises will even bring about opposition and persecution. In David's situation, I suspect it's actually some kind of physical attack. Probably in the military context, uh, which so often characterised David's life, in which he so often writes psalms like this one. But to take that idea and to make it personal, so that we don't just let it wash over us or say that, well, that was David's situation, not ours. Psalm 138, I think, is saying that God's people ought to expect to suffer and to struggle with hardship. Most Christians have been and today still are persecuted for their faith. Which I think raises the question for us, and I put this in a gentle but nevertheless firm way, if we're not in any way persecuted for our faith, if if we don't ever experience any opposition, we need to ask ourselves if the reason why we've avoided such suffering is because we've stopped praising God publicly, because we've become silent or private in our faith. Sometimes we are persecuted because our foes will not repent of their ways. And yet here's the point of Psalm 138. Because our foes are God's foes, if they choose not to praise him now, eventually they will be forced to do so. For one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
It's just that for some people, it will be the first time they do so and it will be their last act of defiance, even as they are led away in disgrace. And the thing is, for us who are Christians, because we know that it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, unrepentant, we pray for our family and our friends, for those we love, that it might never be the case for them. I said I wanted to finish Psalm 138 by focusing on what it says about God, not what it tells us to do. So, one last look at Psalm 138. Verse 8, did you notice there? Your love, Lord, endures forever. Now, at this point, I really hope you can remember Psalm 136. Anyone remember what Psalm 136 was about? His love endures forever, you know, the 26 times in a row. Uh, Not uh, coincidental. I suspect that we're reminded of those exact same refrain just uh, a couple of pages later in the Bible. In Psalm 138, the sign of God's love is not just that he saved us when we turned away from him, not just that he rescues us from his foes, but the sign of his love is that he made us. He made us in the first place. And so, verse 8, Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands When David talks about the works of your hands, at this point, I don't think he's referring to the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the planets, the created order. That is one way in which he describes the works of his hands. But here, the works of his hands are us. We are the beneficiaries and the recipients of God's love. That is, God made us. And because he made us, he owns us. He owns all of us. And that means that part of our song of praise to the world around us is simply this. Come home. Come home to where you belong. No matter who you are, what you have done or failed to do, you belong to him. He made you, so he owns you. And in fact, he has made the most extraordinary sacrifice to win you back. He's even given his own son for you. And it seems to me that surely this is something that we can talk about with our friends. This is something that we can sing about even with our friends. And so, to make the point and to finish a little bit differently and at the same time to issue a challenge, I thought, point four, my song of praise to God, I thought I would finish by sharing with you my song of praise to God, which I sat down a few weeks ago and tried to write. Now, some disclaimers about this song. Firstly, I have no artistic or musical talent whatsoever, so I'm not going to sing it. And, in fact, I didn't even try to write it as a proper song. Just think free verse. You know, if that gets me off the hook. But it's my song. And you'll see at the bottom of your page on your handout, I'm going to ask you afterwards if you might consider 
if you might consider writing your song as well. This is my song of praise. Now, I, do, I am aware of how most Christian music works, so there's three verses and a chorus. Uh, we'll see how we go. They're mostly about what God has done and what he says that he will do. Just indulge me for a bit. First verse. Almighty God, I'm astounded to be the work of your hands, fashioned by you from before the beginning of time. Though I'm scarred by my failures and disfigured by my sin, I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made by you, reborn into a new and living hope. Though my days are few and my ambitions unmet, and my dreams so often unfulfilled. Your Holy Spirit lives in me, making me more like Jesus, equipping me for all the good works you prepared for me in advance to do. And so for this and for so much more, I will praise you with all my heart. Chorus. You are worthy, God most holy, of all praise and honour and glory. So for all my days, I will sing your praise that the people in my life might know you too. You have kept your word, Lord, on high. You sent your son, his life for mine. You have made me and redeemed me, so I might always worship you. Second verse. Loving Father, you've given me more than I could ever ask for or imagine. You've answered the prayers I've been too afraid or too proud to bring. And in this discontented world, You have never once shortchanged me or held out on me, except when my desires were not good for me. You've never given me rocks instead of bread or snakes instead of fish. You birthed me in Australia, not in the slum overseas. And you've blessed me with my amazing wife, three wonderful children, and lifelong friends who have carried me even through the valley of the shadow of death. You've filled my days with every good gift. You've granted me health to enjoy them all. You've blessed me with the best job in the world. So I wake each day overflowing with thankfulness for the privilege of making disciples the way those before me for 2,000 years have obeyed Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations. And so for this and for so much more, I will sing your praise before the gods wherever you put me in your world to the ends of the earth. You are worthy, God most holy, of all praise, honour and glory. So for all my days I will sing your praise that the people in my life might know you too. You've kept your word, Lord, on high. You gave your son his life for mine. You've made me and redeemed me so I might always worship you. Lord of all, so great is your unfailing love that you would send not just your son to save me, but your spirit to guide me, to grow me and to guard me until one day soon, sooner than I can imagine, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, you'll send the Lord Jesus again and he will carry me home to the room in our Father's house he's prepared for me, to the place where I belong, which is better by far even than what you've already given me. And that's been pretty good. 
when at last I live by sight and not by faith, free from any doubt, knowing your word is unbreakable and that nothing can thwart your promise to exalt he who was dead but is now alive forever and ever. Not my failures, not my forgetfulness, not even any opposition, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation, because your love, Lord, it endures forever. And I know with all my heart and soul and mind and strength that you will vindicate me. And so for this and for so much more, I praise your holy name. You are worthy, God most holy, of all praise and honour and glory. So for all my days, I will sing your praise that the people in my life might know you too. You've kept your word, Lord, on high. You gave your son his life for mine. You've made me and redeemed me so I might always worship you. If you're here today as someone who's not a Christian, uh, let me just explain. I, I don't sing this song, well, didn't sing it at all. I don't speak this song uh, to boast, but that you might have a glimpse of what life in Christ alone can be like. And what I'd like to say to you today is that if you're not a Christian person, that actually every Christian person you know has a song like this. They might not have ever written it down, but they have one. So can I encourage you to ask them to share it with you? That they might speak to you of the way in which they have seen God at work and what hope they have. Uh, If you are a Christian, obviously, and I speak particularly at this point to the members of this church, well, guess what? You're unnoticed. Someone's going to ask you to sing a song at some point. Um, Perhaps by way of preparation, could I encourage you to spend a few minutes each day in this week ahead trying to write your own song? I have to tell you that sitting down and doing this exercise a few weeks ago, it made for one of the best weeks of the year that I've had because I spent time every day trying to think about how I would praise God, which actually meant that I actually did praise God every day of the week uh, in a way in which often I guess we're just too busy or too distracted to get around to it. So if you are a Christian, can I encourage you, in the week ahead, sit down and try and write out your song. After you've done that, and if you want someone to um, uh, you know, actually set it to music, well... You know, don't come and see me, but um, speak to... There's some great musicians in this congregation. I know that they'd love to be involved in that way. Um, but uh, what I'd love to encourage you to do is if you write your song, then share it with someone so that it's not silent. Share it with me. I'd love to hear about it. And as you share it with others, they, with you, with all the kings of the earth, might join in praising our great God. Let me close by praying. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have in him alone. We pray that you give us courage and strength and opportunity in this week ahead to testify to all that you have done. Amen.